Um, good afternoon. Yes, it is afternoon. My name is Nick. Uh, if you don't know me, I'm one of the elders here. And um, it's a real privilege and pleasure to be able to bring God's word to you. Um, we're just starting a new series called God in the Ordinary. Um, Colin spoke two weeks ago. And um, he, uh, if you like, prior to that, we'd gone through a series about encountering the Holy Spirit called Encounter. Um, and you know, Colin signposted this next set of uh, series of teaching or preaching called God in the Ordinary. And the, I guess the, the key thing that Colin, or the key points that Colin made was, yes, we've talked about the Spirit. And so this isn't now a new series where we're just going to talk about practical things. No, it's about the Spirit in ordinary uh, lives, the Spirit in everyday lives. So it's a, if you like, it's a, to some extent a continuation yeah, so it's not we talked about the spirit and now we move on to practical matters. But we will talk about practical things. Um, this series will look at wisdom. And so today um, I will be looking at two types of wisdom. I'll be talking uh, initially about worldly wisdom. But I'll be contrasting that against biblical wisdom. And I guess with all wisdom or with truth, um, I'll be going through this rather quickly because I'll just simply be stating the wisdom yeah, it'll all make sense when I uh, start to go cover through, through the scripture and, and draw out the wisdom from the scripture that I'll be reading. Um, the first of these series today, we'll be talking about marriage. We believe in marriage as a church. We, we support marriage. We love marriage. Um, we, are, we believe that God loves marriage and God created marriage. And so this first session we'll be looking at marriage and we'll be doing at this, looking at this from two perspectives i initially will be talking about choosing well so all of, all the singles in the house um and amen and authentic our uh, youth please listen up because this really um is more applicable to you or, or if you are uh, you know if you have been married but you're not married then then this is uh, applicable to you as well and then my lovely, lovely wife will come and do a much uh, better job in the second half and will come and talk about um, staying married. So I'll talk about choosing well and then my lovely wife. And when she comes up, I would love, like a big round of applause, please, when she comes up because uh, I'd, I'd like dinner today. Thank you. <laughs> so you need to make my wife feel welcome and feel good. Amen. Um, so like I said, we, we love marriage, and the reality is that we, we're, I mean, in this room, there'll be people that have had different experiences of marriage, uh, or, of, or of choosing, uh, and so um, we recognize that, and we recognize that people that have been hurt in choices, have been hurt in marriage, um, and, and there'll be different people under the sound of my voice. So this is not, you know, what we're looking, seeking to do here is not to bring condemnation or guilt, yeah, uh, but to say actually there are biblical principles that we want to present for those who are now choosing, yeah, and biblical principles uh, to support staying married. Amen? So it's very much forward-looking. Um, before I start, actually, I'd just like to pray, if that's all right. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for your presence amongst your people. Thank you, Lord, for your, uh, all, all that you've said and all that you've done this morning and, and into this afternoon. Father, I pray now, anoint me by your spirit, O oh God. I pray, Father, Lord, that 
uh, I decrease, Lord, that you may increase. I pray, Father, that everything I say, Father, is inspired and influenced and, uh, and anointed by your Spirit. I pray, Father, Lord, anoint the hearers of those who are listening to me, O oh God. May they hear you, O oh God. Not me, not man's wisdom, but your wisdom, O oh God. In this be glorified, O oh God. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, my topic is choosing well. Um, and uh, uh, what I'd like to say, actually, before, um, in terms of choosing, you start to seek or ask yourself, where is the right person? Who is the right person? It is about, first of all, being the right person yourself. So before seeking a, a husband or wife, and guys, I'm going to come and talk to you a bit today. Uh, before seeking a, a spouse, and seeking in quote the right person, it's about your relationship with God. It's about God preparing you for somebody, preparing your heart for all the singletons. It's about God working on you so you are the right person when indeed you do meet the right person. It's about preparing for the person that God will send your, your way. And so whilst attraction is very important, I think it is important to be attracted to your spouse, we must remember that all that glitters is not gold. And so beauty is beyond the superficial. And a lot of people choose worldly wisdom is very much looking at the outside. But we'll, come up, we'll talk about that some more. And secondly, in terms of um, when you're choosing, there is, it is so important that values are aligned. That your vision for life, your values that the values placed in you are aligned with your choice. Because the Bible says, how can two walk together lest they be agreed? How can there be unity where there are different values and perspectives? I'll just talk through some common wisdom today. The, the wisdom of the world says, and, and this is fueled by a consumer mentality. It, the wisdom of the world is, what can I get? Who can I get? Not who can I give myself to for the rest of my life. It's about I want this person for me. It's about me, 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 me. And so that's the wisdom of today. The wisdom of today is if it feels good, do it. The wisdom of today is it's about yourself. Me first, you first. If you are happy, then everybody else can be happy. If you're not happy, then nobody else can be happy. The other thing that the world says today is try before you buy. Yeah, and, and it may seem it may seem to make sense. Well, actually, you would want to try something before you buy. Interestingly, marriages are more likely to break up where people cohabit before they get married, statistically. So trying before buying doesn't work. Fifty percent or half of marriages end in divorce. In the church, it's slightly less. It's about forty percent. So there is a bit, I mean, the, the church in Christendom is a bit better, but I think we can do much better than that. And so we're coming to biblical principles that can support marriage success. There's also an instant microwave culture, isn't there? Common wisdom is, I want it and I want it now. And if I can't get it, then something is wrong with somebody else because they're not giving me exactly what I want now. And then finally... 
So I'm looking for perfection. People are looking for perfection. Common wisdom is you will find perfection. The reality is there is no such thing as a perfect human being. And so if you find a perfect guy or a perfect girl, somehow and then you get together, the reality is you're not perfect yourself. So you make that person imperfect because they have made an imperfect choice. Can somebody say amen? Amen. So there is no such thing as perfection, and we need to change our mindsets. The world gives you glossy pictures, glossy magazines with you know, size X women and size Y men, and etc., 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 and paint these pictures that are not reality. And people strive to attain and achieve those. And finally, common wisdom, the world's wisdom said, if you're not, says if you're not happy, you can always take it back. And swap for another model. Isn't that true? Yeah? Buy now, pay later. If you're not happy, bring it back. The reality is, folks, that's not God's plan or purpose for marriage. And that is not the mindset into which one should enter marriage. Because that dooms it from the beginning. Potentially dooms it. But for the grace of God. Yeah? Marriage is a commitment between a husband and wife for life. So the world's mentality of, uh, if you don't like it, you can take it back, don't work. Yeah, God will say, no, 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 it's your wife. So what I'm proposed to do for the rest of my time, and I need to do this really quickly because my beautiful wife has to come up and share how we stay married. Um, (laughs) Actually, not just interesting, not just how we stay married, she's also uh, garnered wisdom from other people as to how they, you know, how they see staying married. So she's got a a broad perspective, yes, yes. Um, So (laughs) I must watch time. Anyway. Um, I'm going to put out, the way I'll follow on from the biblical perspective is I'm going to read through a story. And then what I will do is I will draw out some key points, wisdom principles from that story. And they're just meant to be nuggets or seeds for you to take away and think about. And hopefully the Lord will bless and make it fruitful in your lives as is required. Amen? So Genesis chapter 24. Abraham was now very old, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. He said to the senior servant in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, the God of it all, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I am living. But you will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. Say, you will go to my own country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. The servant, now just as I read through this, I know there is a cultural perspective here. This is the Old Testament. Yeah, and it's the, um, the, there's a, what I'm not looking to do is to take that culture and somehow equate it to this. But I think there are principles that apply then that still apply now regardless of the cultural perspectives. Amen? So let's read on. The servant asked him, what if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I then take your son back to the country you came from? That's a a serious question, isn't it? Because God had said to Abraham, come out of that country. Come out of that place. And so Abraham, aligned with God, had stepped into a new place. And so the question was, do we go back? Believers, do you go back to unbelief? 
Do you go back into the world? Important question to think about in choosing. Make sure that you do not take my son back there, Abraham said. The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and my native land and who spoke to me and promised on oath, saying, to your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife from my son from there. If the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you will be released from the oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master Abraham and swore an oath to him concerning this matter. Then the servant left, taking with him ten of his master's camels, loaded with all kinds of good things from his master. He set out for Aram, Naharam, and made his way to the town of Nahor. He made the camels kneel down near the well outside the town. It was towards evening, the time the women go out to draw water. Please say, the time the women go out to draw water. So the, then the servant, uh, then he prayed, Lord God of my master, Abraham, make me successful today and show kindness to my master, Abraham. See, I am standing beside this spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a young woman, please let down your jar that I may have a drink, and she says, drink, and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. Who has chosen? Who chooses? Amen. By this, I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Before he had finished praying. Now, this is very interesting. Before he had finished praying means that actually... God was already in there. God was in the house. It was happening already. Before he had finished praying, God had answered his prayer. Hallelujah. Yeah? Essentially, (laughs) that is a prayer that is very much aligned with the word of God, the will of God, the spirit of God. Because before he had finished praying, Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, who was the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor. The woman was very beautiful, a virgin. No man had had ever slept with her. She went down to the spring, filled her jar, and came up again. The servant hurried to meet her and said, Please give me a little water from your jar. Drink, my lord, she said, and quickly lowered the jar to her hands and gave him a drink. After she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too, until they have had enough to drink. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw more water, and drew enough for all his camels. How many? Ten camels, I think. That's a lot of water. Without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took out a gold nose ring weighing a becca and two gold bracelets weighing ten shekels. Those were gifts of gratitude. Then he asked, whose daughter are you? Folks, what did he ask? Whose daughter are you? Whose son are you? Please tell me, is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She answered him, I am the daughter of Bethuel the son that Milka bought to Nahor. And she added, we have plenty of straw and fodder, as well as room for you to spend the night. Then the man bowed down and worshipped the Lord, saying, praise be to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. As for me, the Lord has led me on the journey to the house of my master's relatives. The Lord has led him to exactly what Abraham had requested. 
The young woman ran and told her, I sense excitement here. The, the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. Now, Rebecca had a brother, brother named Laban, and he hurried out to the man at the spring. As soon as he had seen the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms, he thought, wow, okay, there's money here. And had heard, <laughs> and had heard Rebecca, that's the truth. I mean, we know the story of Laban, but that's another story. Uh, and, you know, and had heard Rebecca tell what the man said to her. He went out to the man and found him standing by the camels near the spring. Come, you who are blessed by the Lord, he said. Why are you standing out here? I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. So the man went to the house. Everybody say favor. So the man went to the house and the camels were unloaded. Straw and fodder were brought for the camels and water for him and his men to wash their feet. Then food was set before him. But he said, I will not eat until I have told you what I have to say. What a faithful servant. Then they said, this is, I dropped a few verses now because what happens next is there's a long conversation where the servant explains everything that's happened. Um, and then I just want, I think verse 57 is key in terms of then they said, let's call the young woman and ask her about it. So they called Rebecca and asked, will you go with this man? I will go, she said. So they went with their sister Rebecca on her way, along with her nurse and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebecca and said to her, Blessed be you, etc. The story carries on. But the very end of the story, the very last verse says, And Isaac was comforted following his mother's death. The outcome of this story, um, Isaac's mother, Sarah, had died three years earlier. And so God handpicked and handchose and handprepared a woman to comfort Isaac. I won't go ahead of myself. So the principles that I'm drawing out of this story are, first and foremost, if we look at the first uh, part of the scripture where Abraham said to, um, to his servant, I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, etc., etc., that you will get a wife from my son, from, not from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I am living, but will go to my own country and my own relatives. That is not a racist request or a racist requirement in choosing. Abraham wasn't thinking, well, I'm these people, they're those people. This was about the people of God. And Abraham understood that actually if his wife, Isaac, chose the wrong wife, she would take him away from God. Not towards God. So the first principle, the first wisdom here is, um, brothers and sisters, choose from the family of God. Choose from a believer. Because God has actually also said, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And it is important that the values and the beliefs of the person you choose to spend the rest of your life with are aligned with yours. And so as a believer, choose a believer from the house of God because that's where you belong. That's where you're from. That's who you are, a child of God. Amen? The next one, very quickly, is prayer. So the principle is choose from the house of God. The second is prayer. Then the servant prayed, Lord God of my master Abraham, make me successful today and show kindness to my master Abraham. He prayed for success. So before anything else, before any practical uh, ideas or any practical steps, pray. Pray that the Lord himself will prepare you a bride. Or the Lord himself will prepare you a husband. 
The next wisdom from this is about the person. It's all about, if you, th- if you think about what uh, Abraham's servant asked for as the sign, it wasn't about this person's beauty. It was about her character. The first thing is she was where she was meant to be. She was out where the women are at that time of the evening, drawing water. She was occupied. She was in the right place at the right time, not somewhere else. Amen? And she had a heart of compassion and care. And that is what Isaac needed, because Isaac was comforted. Um, There was a woman who essentially said she only needed three things. She only required three things for her husband. That one, he was tall, two, he was dark, and three, he was handsome. And so she did marry somebody who was tall, dark, and handsome, but he was a tyrant. And uh, I I was speaking to um, one of the elders who will remain nameless this morning, and I said, I said, well, I can give you a choice. Make sure she's blonde. (laughs) Well, thank God he married a blonde person. But I'm sure it was beyond her blondness because she's beautiful on the inside as well as the outside. Amen? Amen. You know who it is now. (laughs) (laughs) Then the next episode is about the person. And, And it's good to make a list of things that you want in your spouse. But really, if that list is all about the external, then actually... You, there is a, something I missed there. Yeah? It's about kindness. It's about values. The next point is there was a connection. This was not... Um, Rebecca was known. You know, I don't believe somebody can just find somebody. Oh, we, were we in romance? We just got married. Nobody knows anybody. Yeah? It is so important that when you are choosing, that you choose somebody that is known. Your friends, your family know them. There is a relationship. There is a connection somewhere. Next uh, principle is of biblical wisdom. is about watching and waiting. And this is key because the servant said, without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. Guys, don't go uh, rushing into asking someone to marry you. You've got to take the time to understand that actually this is the person that the Lord as gifted to you, to cherish and nurture for the rest of your lives. Amen? Amen. And the next one is very similar. It's about the leading of God. So as you watch and wait and listen, God will lead you. Because God is for marriage. And Moti is going to come and talk about just how much God is for marriage and what marriage means and the purpose of marriage. Two more to go. The next one is the family. It is so important when you're choosing that actually... I mean, at the LS service, I said, if, when our boys you know, make friends and have friends, we say, oh, who's the dad? Who's the mom? Where, who are the parents? Where do they live? You know, um, what, tell us about the family. And it's important that before you ask the question and before you say, yes, I do, actually, you know the family beforehand. Moti um, heard, uh, I think it was a, a teaching or something on TV where you know, the, the preacher was saying, Actually, before you marry somebody, make sure you go to their house, you meet the parents, you meet the mother-in-law, because 20 years down the line, that's who your wife is going to be. <laughs> and I thought, and my mother-in-law is here today, yeah? Uh, so I, 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 and my, my wife is wonderful. 
my wife is wonderful because my mother-in-law is wonderful. And the reality is actually, if I look at my wife and her sister, yeah, they're very similar in terms of values and in terms of actually what's important to them and how they love their husbands and how they look after their homes. So well done, mommy. The last point is the proposal, the question. I don't believe in arranged marriages. Because they asked Rebecca, will you go? Will you marry this man? And so she had a choice and she said, yes. But a whole lot of stuff had happened with the family first. And so for me, it's, in terms of choosing well, it's about the family as well as the person. Because ultimately, the families become connected and joined by the marriage of two people. So I'd like to just welcome uh, Mrs. Bakare, my lovely and beautiful Woo! wife. Um, I, I, would, I would like to say that I chose well, <laughs> I, and so did she. already that Nick and I are quite different. He's very technological, um, connected. He's, I, I, and I've got my notebook, my Bible, my glasses, and <laughs> God help me. <laughs> yeah. So my, my bit of today's preach is staying married. Staying married. And um, like Nick said, it's kind of, um, it was quite difficult to streamline this because the two bits of what we're talking about today are things that you can teach in a series. So um, the very first thing that I thought of as very important is understanding the purpose of marriage. Understanding the purpose of marriage. Because I believe that to stay married, to stay married or to stay in a marriage when things are difficult, you really need to understand why you're in it in the first place. So, understanding the purpose of marriage. My first scripture is Genesis 1.27. And it said, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then Genesis 2 says, the man said, this is now the bone of my bones and the flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother, mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. And I just believe that the Bible tells us that God created marriage. So if you want to know how a marriage should be run, you look in the Bible. God created marriage to reflect his relationship with the church. It is the closest relationship to what God has with us. So God's love, his mercy, his grace is what we should see in our marriages because it reflects the relationship that God has with the church. And there are many scriptures in the Bible where the church is described as the bride of Christ. So I think, um, looking at the scripture... Marriage is a relationship that should reflect the servant's heart of God, where two people come together and they seek to serve. 
They seek to show grace. They seek to show love. They seek to show mercy that they have received from God. So like Nick said, we sometimes get married with the wrong motives. People get married for so many reasons these days. Economic reasons, it feels right. We'll have two incomes and then we can advance. Then we can buy a second house and we can do this X, Y, Z. And the list goes on and on. But all these things sometimes are not I'm not saying they're not good in itself, but when you have God at the foundation of your marriage, then it makes things, because economic reasons, sometimes um, you might have challenges with that. So what do you go with a marriage if you're married for economic reasons? If you marry somebody just because they were the most beautiful girl in the school, um, <laughs> when Nick said, oh, that glitters is not good, I thought yes, and some of them is on that layers of makeup as well. So, um, Yeah. Um, My second point is um, love truly. Love truly. Um, And I thought that people say, a lot of people say, I love him, I love... In fact, the word love is used very loosely these days. I love that shirt, I love that, I love, you know, I love my phone, I love my shoes, I love... And I just thought it's important to explore what love really means. And so, my scripture in that is in... um, First Corinthians 13, I'm going to try and read from that thing now. First Corinthians 13, 3 to 8. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Now, I'm going to stop there. Love never fails. I love that short sentence. Love never fails. Because actually, in, in that culture... People say, love fails. I don't love him anymore. So I move on to the next. And I have heard that. I have seen that. But the Bible says, love never fails. And this is why love never fails. Because love is action. Love is a choice. You choose to love someone. It's not really a feeling. Yes, you may start, like was said earlier, you may start with a feeling of, you know, when you meet somebody and... You, um, your eyes go all dewy and you, your heart's beating and your, eggs, your legs go wobbly and you're like, every time you see them, there's butterflies in your stomach. It's a great place to start. But it's been proven scientifically that feeling only really lasts for about an average of two years. So where do you go when that feeling goes? What happens then? This is what happens. You choose to, to love. So love is patient. You are patient with your spouse. Love is kind. Kindness is a value that is so underrated. A lot of us are kind to outsiders, to our colleagues, to external people, and we don't show kindness to our spouses. The little things, the manners, the please, the thank you, the appreciation, the value. I love you for being here. I love you for doing the little things. Kindness goes a long way in marriage. Putting each other first prioritizing each other. Ephesians um, 5.21 talks about this, and it talks about submitting yourself 
like you will submit to Christ, submitting yourself to each other like you will submit yourself to Christ. So there is that. That is what love is. It's not just the feeling. And actually, when you do all of that, there is a deeper sense of connection that you get in marriage. Accepting the other person, not having an agenda. Oh, I'm going to, yeah, I don't like X, Y, Z, but when I marry them, I'm going to change that. But actually, that doesn't really work. You can ask any married person here. (laughs) That doesn't work. Forgiveness, keeping no record of wrong. You have to learn to forgive in marriage. Marriage is a union of two good forgivers. If you go around with a bag full of hurts and uh, bitterness, eventually you get to a roadblock and it's going to be called unforgiveness. You would not be able to move further than that. And that actually breaks down marriages. So to be able to stay married, you've got to be a good forgiver. Resolving conflicts well, learning good communication skills, seeking each other's perspective when things aren't going well. So like if you have conflict, try to listen and understand. Try to see what your spouse is saying from their perspective. You can see I'm trying to rush this. My third point is pray. Pray. And don't pray just when things are falling apart. We pray because we have been called to prayer. As a people of God, we have been called to prayer in everyday life. Proverbs 3.5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge God and he will direct your path. God's spirit inhabits marriage God's spirit inhabits marriage because he created marriage and only him can really make marriage successful. So when you commit your way to God, you are bound by the grace of God to experience a godly marriage. God loves marriage. We pray also because prayer changes us. I don't know if you know that. Prayer changes me. It changes my heart. So I may start out by, I'm going to pray for something. I'm going to pray that that person changes or Nick changes or... And then it's me that change. That changes, rather. It's me that changes. I change the way I look at it, my perspective on it. So pray. Prayer changes us. Prayer changes situations. So it it might not be you. It might not be your spouse. And the situation changes. God answers prayer. So you pray for yourself. You pray for your marriage. You pray for your spouse. You pray for your children. Do you know the world says, when I don't feel loved, I move on. But the Bible says, if you don't feel love, do love, act love, show love. I forgot to say that earlier, so I thought I'd say that before I move on. My fourth point is wisdom. Seek godly wisdom from the Bible. There's so many, many Bible passages that you can draw wisdom from. I, when I was growing up, when I was a teenager, I loved reading the book of Proverbs. I just loved it. And it's amazing, even it will tell you, you know, when you have food in front of you, how you should eat. <laughs> when you're meeting people, how you should act. It is there in the Bible. So, seek godly wisdom from the Bible. I have an example here where it talks about Proverbs 17.1. Better is a dry muscle with quietness. I put in brackets here, peace. Than a house full of 
feasting with strife. For me, that talks about making decisions in your marriage that promotes peace. Sometimes we chase so many things that don't promote peace in the home. So it's important that, yes, this might be economically beneficial, but in the long run, does that draw you apart? Does it cause more strife? Is it really helpful for your marriage? Proverbs 12, 18 says, There is one who speaks like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise promotes health. The Bible also talks about life and death is in the tongue, the power of the tongue. What we say, how we say it, really matters in marriage. Our tongues are very powerful. Our words are very powerful. We should use it in a way to build up our marriage, our spouses, our children. In closing, (laughs) I have wisdom from 115 years of marriage. It's not just me, no. It's not just Nick and I. 115 years of marriage, six couples. We were at um, elders meeting in the week, and I thought I'd ask two topics from each of the elders um, but I decided not to attach the names of who said what, just how long they've been married. So there is wisdom in this house. So there is wisdom in the church. So there is wisdom in the Bible. There is wisdom around you. Seek wisdom from people who have been married and are happily married. Particular instances when you're young, you're raising children, um, jobs, Talk to couples, talk to other people. You'll be surprised you are not the only one who is going through whatever you're going through. In fact, part of the plan of the enemy is to make you feel exactly that. To make you feel like, oh my goodness, everyone else's marriage is going great. It's just us. It's not just you. And the chances are the person you're talking to has experienced exactly the circumstance that you have. So in this godly wisdom of six couples, I have um, a couple who's been married for 14 years. Their top tips are selflessness, preferring the other person. Preferring the other person. We talked about that earlier, putting each other first. Talking, they said. Talk about everything all the time. All the time. You need to talk. And a third one, they said, I asked for two, but I got three. Make time for sex. So that was imp- that's important in a marriage relationship. And that, is a, that can be another teaching in itself because there's the... Well, I'm not going to go into that. Make time for sex. <laughs> 32 years of marriage. And they said, talk and listen. Can you see that? Talk has come up again. Talk and listen. And not just talking like nagging. It's talking purposefully. Sitting down, laying out what it is. When there is conflict, sitting together on the same side. As couples, you're always on the same side. You might not see things the same way. You are on the same side. 23 years of marriage. Calf time out together. Often, they said. Have time out together. Spend time together. Choose to be with your spouse. Make the time, especially when you have younger children. It can be all-consuming. It can take over everything. But actually, it's important to engage the family of believers, grandmas, aunties. Give them two hours. 
just put your child. I know it, it, it's diff- especially when it's your first child. You think, oh gosh, I can't leave them. You can. Trust me, you can. Find somebody, spend some time together. It can be a breath of fresh air. A couple married, married for 17 years. Change your expectations, they said. And I think this is also about when you're, before you get into marriage, you might have, you know, um, a romantic view of what marriage is, what you've watched on telly, the, is it Harry Met Sally and, yeah, and everything else. Trust me, marriage is not like those two hours romantic movies you see on telly. It's a lot more than that. So you might need to change your expectations. And they also said, make time for sex. So that's important. If you want to hear more about making time for sex, maybe in the next um, marriage enrichment weekend, that might be a topic to go into. Eight years of marriage. Don't have children, they said. (laughs) Don't have children. And I think uh, that's because stages of life, you know, having children comes and it changes everything. You have to adapt. You have to change. And I think that's what they mean. So they're adapting, they're changing, but children are lovely. They are lovely. We love them and they grow up. They will grow up and they will leave. So it's important. They will leave. So it's important that you constantly reconnect with each other. Forgive each other, this couple also said. Forgive each other. Like we said, marriage is a union of two good forgivers. If you don't forgive, eventually you get to a roadblock that says unforgiveness. You can't move beyond that. And lastly, communication and commitment. Um, We actually said that. (laughs) So communication and commitment, um, because we believe communication, like you saw, talk, talk, cover time, which obviously talking, communicating is a big part of staying married. And commitment, knowing that when you get married, there's no plan B. There is no plan B. So which means the earlier talk should be taken very seriously. There is no plan B. And by God's grace and God's mercy, we'll choose well and stay married. Praise God.